Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. And good afternoon and welcome. Hope you're doing wonderfully today. Thank you so very much for joining us on this middle of the week Wednesday, hump day, June 7th of the year 2023. Gothic looking scenes in the north of New York with the Canadian wildfires going on. Looks like a a picture from a horror film. It's just, wow, crazy. Meanwhile, down here, it's a Chamber of Commerce Day as we get ready for a weekend of LSU baseball. Zion Williamson back in the news today. We'll get a preview of LSU's opponent in the Super Regional, and we'll try and lay out the who's, what's, and what the effect of this new merger in the game of golf is concerned. All these stories and much, much more coming your way today as my main man, James Mesh, sits in the producer's chair inside the Evco Development Studios. Evco Development, a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It is on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, we can be heard everywhere because we're streaming on 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can even turn on your television set and watch us because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. Well, Saturday at 2 o'clock, LSU is two wins away from going to the College World Series. They, the beast in front of them is the Kentucky Wildcats. And Kentucky comes into town um, yet again. These two teams met earlier in the SEC season, uh, mid, mid-April, mid-April. LSU was the number one team in the country at that time. They were 27-5 and five overall. They'd won seven of their first 11 Southeastern Conference games. Um, they were averaging nine runs and 11 hits per ball game. Um, Paul Skeens was coming off his shortest outing of the season at South Carolina. He, he looked human. Um, he gave up his first two homers of the year against South Carolina, exited with LSU trailing 3-1, to one, and he took his first loss. Kentucky at the time was then ranked number 12. It, it lost just three times in its previous 26 games, but the Wildcats had suffered back-to-back losses to Georgia the weekend before. So... The two teams met. Paul Skeens was Paul Skeens. He gave up four earned runs on seven hits. He walked one, struck out 13 in six innings, and LSU 
hammered Kentucky 16 to 6 in eight innings. Game number two, LSU did plenty. They got nine hits, drew nine walks, were hit by five pitches, and they scored 10 runs. But LSU lost 13 to 10. The defense committed three errors. LSU stranded nine base runners, and six of the Wildcats' runs were unearned. So it would go down to a Sunday finale to see who would win the series. LSU did it with a 7-6 to six win. Um, the starting picture that day was Christian Little. Hadn't heard from him since. Um, Tommy White was hit by a pitch with the bases loaded, bringing in the go-ahead run in the eighth in a 7-6 to six win. So they'll resume things this Saturday starting at 2 p.m. Um, Todd Walker will join us at 3 o'clock. Todd called the Kentucky-Indiana, um, you know, the Lexington Regional, and he was there for the winner-take-all match between Kentucky and Indiana, and he'll share a scouting report on the Kentucky Wildcats. It's game three of the NBA Finals tonight as the scene shifts to Miami. Jimmy Butler says an NBA title would mean everything. Miami's Tyler Hero ruled out for game three as his rehab continues. Meanwhile, a couple of new coaches in the league, Frank Vogel at the head job for the Phoenix Suns, and Adrian Griffin in his first head coaching job takes over for a title contender as he was introduced today as the Milwaukee Bucks coach. So only Toronto now and Phoenix are yet to name uh, new head coaches. We will, um, we'll, we'll, we'll preview game three of the NBA Finals tonight. Michael Huguenin will join us uh, as well today as he always does for Hump Day with Huguenin. Alex Myers of Golf Digest will try and um, summarize this new merger with the PGA Tour, the Live Tour, and the DP Tour, and what are the ramifications from it? Um, yesterday was was a shocking revelation. Still don't know all the details, but one of the biggest stunners in sports history. The blowback from the PGA Tour's own players to 9-11 families united to some faction of disgusted fans in golf media, this isn't over by a long shot. And what does it mean for tournaments like the Zurich Classic? We'll try and sort it all out. The fact that all the players were blindsided by the agreement that took shape over the past seven weeks is just mind-boggling to me. Absolutely mind-boggling. So... Uh, we'll have to see what transpires as this PGA tour seems to me to have been bought out by the Saudis, and this is going to become a world tour. 
does the Zurich Classic have a shot to stay and, and remain? Yeah. Time, it will a tell, plain and simple. Um, I don't have a dog in the fight, but it just seems like the PGA Tour sold out. They just said, you know, we're in litigation with these people that have billions and billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. We can't, we can't stay in that fight. We can't win it. We don't have the money to stay in it. So let's just, let's just stay on and take the money and run. Take the money and run. If you're a soccer fan, you know who Lionel Messi is. Um, the 35-year-old legend. I don't know how they do this in soccer. They seem to move from one place to another all the time. The most coveted free agent in soccer history is set to sign with Major League Soccer's Inter-Miami. The decision would end weeks of speculation about the Argentine star's future. Um, I mean, that's that's big for that league. There is no ifs, ands, buts uh, about it, right? It's kind of like when Pele, the legendary soccer star, joined, came over to the United States and played for I can't remember the name of the team in New York, but I mean, it was, uh, it was huge. So landing Messi is an all time coup for the league, likely even more impactful than the one of inter Miami club president, David Beckham, who left real Madrid to join the LA galaxy back in 2007. So Messi coming to Miami. That's pretty good. I am exporting capital of the world, right? It is. Um, James Harden apparently torn between two teams. Does he want to stay in Philadelphia? Does he want to go back to Houston? Um, Harden's expected to turn down his player option in favor of a new deal in free agency. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where, what he decides in this um, NBA run by the players where the PGA is not run by the players. Um, and that's where I think the difficulty therein lies. All right. Uh, busy day for you. When we return, Christian Clark will join us to start things off. We've got the NBA finals game three. Zion Williamson is going to be a daddy. Uh, and um, the Pelicans have a new associate head coach. We'll discuss all of those topics with Christian after our first timeout of the day. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, you can see them live and in person because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Lay Meridian, Houston Downtown, and the Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Jordy Holberg was draining three-pointers with ease way before Steph Curry came on the scene or was even born. 
Now, back to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We begin today, this Wednesday, June 7th, talking NBA hoops. We've got game three of the finals tonight as the scene shifts to South Beach. Denver at Miami, series tied a game apiece. We've got some news about Zion Williamson. We've got some news about Brandon Ingram. And we've got some news about a new associate head coach for the Pels. So no one better to talk to about all the aforementioned topics than the man who covers the Pelicans for NOLA.com, my good buddy, Mr. Christian Clark. Christian, thanks for the time today, man. How you doing? Hey, yeah, I watched the video. Uh, yeah, I saw his partner, you know, release that piece of content yesterday. And, and Zion, you know, looked happy. He's definitely smiling. And he looked fit, too. Um, so, shout out to him. Yeah, congratulations to him. Meanwhile, his, uh, his running mate, Brandon Ingram, is going to serve his country playing for Team USA's FIBA World Cup team this summer in the Philippines. I think that's, uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I do too. And I know, you know, when I checked in with some folks on the Pelicans about that, they, they seem pretty excited about it. Um, You know, like a lot of times we've seen guys who get that international experience with Team USA and they're, they're around other really good players and they see, you know, kind of the drive that those guys have and, um, you know, the grit that those guys have, and some of it rubs off. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping, you know, that's what happens with, with Brandon Ingram. You know, you can see how some of these other great players move. Um, but I just think generally it's it's good that he's hooping. I mean, he uh, <laughs> he's missed a lot of games in the last two years. Like, I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about him racking up too much, too much mileage or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, the other big news um, for the Pelicans is James Borrego, uh, apparently going to be hired as the associate head coach. Uh, he and Willie Green have um, have uh, some deep, deep connections. Borrego spurned an offer to join the, the Brooklyn Nets to join the Pelican staff. Why James Borrego? What do you think of the move? And what does he bring that um, that wasn't necessarily – here for the Pelicans. Yeah, so I, I think James Orego is going to have a lot of influence over the Pelicans' offense next season. The Pelicans finished 20th in points scored per 100 possessions last year. You know, I think you could say a lot of that was due to the amount of time the best two players, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, missed. Those two guys combined to miss 90 games last year. But I, I think at the same time, you know, there were things the Pelicans could have been doing better offensively. They didn't generate enough threes. That was something Willie Green said all year. I think they didn't play with the pace Willie Green wanted. And when you look at James Borrego's four-year run as head coach of the Charlotte Hornets, those are some things Charlotte did really, really well. Um, you know, they were they were top ten in offensive efficiency, in three-pointers attempted, in pace in Borrego's final year with the team. And I think Borrego did a good, nice job in Charlotte. I mean, if you look at his last three years, they went from 23 wins to 33 wins to 43 wins. I mean, they they got better in terms of yeah. winning and losing in his time there, and it, it seemed like he just kind of got a raw deal. Um, I was told that uh, James Borrego's relationship with Willie Green was one of the driving forces with him coming to New Orleans. He coached Willie Green twice before. He was an assistant on the 2010-11 Hornets team that Willie Green you know, when he was a, a player in New Orleans, his one season here. And then he was an assistant on the Orlando Magic team that Willie Green joined in his final year in the league. 
Borrego was the interim coach. He took over for Jack Vaughn after he got fired there. And like, he was playing Willie Green, even when Willie was on kind of his last legs as a player. So I think there's, there's great trust between those guys. I'm curious, Christian. You mentioned the, the Pelicans didn't play with the pace that R- Willie Green wanted. Do the Pelicans have the players that can actually play with pace? I, I think of C.J. McCollum. I, I don't. I, I don't think of a a cat quick guard. I think of a good shooting guard and a guy that in the half court can get some things. But with pace, you need to be able to get it off the glass, kick it out, and go. And do you believe the Pelicans have the personnel to play at a very high tempo and pace? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, they don't have that that like lead guard that you think about like driving the fast break or anything. I mean, they right. kind of they kind of did when Lonzo Ball here when when he was here with Alvin Gentry. Um, but yeah, I think that's you know a, a fair point. Like CJ's not that guy. I mean, I think they have a lot of guys who can excel on the fast break. Zion, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram at times. Um, but you know, I think too, like just just like tempo in the half court. I mean, I think there are times when like the offense kind of just like looked like a slog a little bit. And I think that's yeah. what Gene Brigo is, is here for. Um, I mean, he, he really does have a good reputation as a kind of an offensive mind in the NBA. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, you know, how he can positively impact his team. I'm with you. Christian Clark, NOLA.com covering the Pelicans. He got the, uh, the 14th pick in the NBA draft coming along. Um, anybody really caught your eye as, um, as a fit with a player that would come in that, and, and, and have even more of a co- contribution than you got from last year's first round pick. You, you just cut out there briefly. You were saying uh, anybody that, that stands out at 14? Anybody that intrigues you in the draft that you think will be around at number 14 that would be a good fit for the Pelicans? Yeah, so I, I believe that it was uh, it leaked out yesterday that they had Derek Lively the second in town. He was, uh, you know, he played center at Duke last year. He was the number one high school recruit in the 2022 class. He did not have a uh, a great freshman season at Duke, but he blocked a ton of shots. I think if he's on the board at 14, he is an interesting option just because of his rim protection ability. Um, I think Jordan Hawkins, the kid from Connecticut, you know, who's their shooter, I think would be a really intriguing option. I mean, I think this team does not have enough shooting, and I think a guy with like you know his ability to really stroke it from anywhere would be a, a welcome addition. You know, I've heard one guy that they like is C.D. Sissoko uh, with the G League Ignite. Um, you know, they they like international players. They like kind of wings with length. Um, I just think when you look at their their four year track record of drafting, like they do have a type. They like versatile guys who play multiple positions. They usually yeah. bet on size. At times, they bet on athleticism. Um, so, you know, if I had to guess, I would I would guess that they pick somebody who kind of fits that mold. Perfect sense. Christian Clark, NOLA.com. Game three of the NBA Finals uh, tonight. Um, we saw Miami get one on the road. Now they're now they're back, and, and people are still doubting Miami, still to this day. And I, I just find that hard to believe they wouldn't have gotten as far as they have and beaten the teams that they have beaten if they weren't a really, really good team. They don't maybe don't have that superstar like 
although Jimmy Butler's pretty darn good, but why do you think people still aren't buying in on Miami? I mean, probably just the regular season win total. I mean, they're they're looking, they're putting their stock into that. Um, and you know, this team was a couple minutes away from being eliminated altogether by the Chicago Bulls, who uh, were not very good this year. Um, but they're legit, yeah. and and I mean, they can absolutely win this series. Like, I think I would still pick the yeah. Nuggets, but they can absolutely win this series. And if they win this game tonight, I mean, there is a lot of pressure on the Nuggets. There's a ton of pressure on the Nuggets to win this game tonight, and they look. You know, look, they they won a bunch of games in a row going into game two, but they did look a little bit nervous in, in game two. And, and the Heat, like one thing they do, you know, they obviously shoot the heck out of the ball. I don't think, you know, their three-point percentage of the regular season was indicative of the shooting talent in this team. But just defensively, they kind of disrupt you and, and just knock you out of your comfort zone. And I think we saw that in game two. Um, you know, they, they cut off a lot of Jokic's passing lanes. And they just they just make you like operate in a way you're not the most comfortable in. They're they're really good at doing that. Would it be best for the league, and hear me out on this, if Miami won? And if, if Miami did win the NBA championship, I gotta believe that the front office, the commissioner's office, and everybody's gonna be going, wait a minute. This just goes to prove that the regular season really doesn't matter. As long as you get in, you got a chance now. So do you believe that the NBA would take steps to say, wait a minute, we've got to make the regular season more significant, more important. Maybe we give teams that finish in the top three or four an advantage based upon what they did during the regular season when it comes to playoff time. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've said it since that CBA closed. Like, I think it was a huge mistake not shortening the regular season from 82 games to like, you know, like 72 or or even go down to 60 or something. I mean, I, I kind of feel like with with the way the game is played today and how much these guys just have to move, you know, and, and cover ground compared to like 20 years ago. It's just kind of a different game, and, and it's not as intense as it should be all the time. Um, but I think it would be interesting to see, like, if they tried to make the regular season more meaningful in, in some way. Um, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, that would be very, very interesting. I mean, I could see them, you know, like, also just being like, well, this is this is why you never tank or like never give up because you can make the play in tournament and then you can win your way into the finals and then who knows what could happen. So they might just, you know, sell that one, I guess. Yeah, it'll certainly be a topic for discussion if that happens because you know people are going to raise red flags along the line with that, but we shall see. All right, um, more pressure on Denver tonight, right, than Miami, but there's pressure on both teams. But who do you like and why tonight, game three? Oh, I, I think I'll take Denver. I mean, uh, they've just been playing so well in the playoffs. Um, I mean, I, I just think they're going to bounce back. I mean, I think game two, like, they were kind of just due for a bad one. Um, and I, I think, you know, Michael Porter Jr. was pretty horrible in that game. I think he's, he'll make some shots tonight. Um, and, and the Nuggets will make enough threes to beat the Heat. Michael Porter Jr., the classic example. He's got to see the ball go through the net so he'll go play on the other end of the court. His defense was non-existent 
Um, he needs the ball. He needs to make shots to be, feel good about himself. I'm with you. I like I like Denver in this one. I think they're too good. Um, but this has a chance to go a long way, this, this series. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll check it out. So Zion's going to have a little baby girl. Um, Brandon Ingram's going to play some international basketball. And the Pels got a new offensive-minded coach. I'm all in. I'm all in, Christian. More offense, the better. But we got to get some people that can get up and down the floor, man. Got to get some guys who will play basketball for the majority of an 82-game season. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the time, man. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoy your week. Hi, man. Appreciate you. That's Christian Clark. NOLA.com with the very latest on the Pelicans and the NBA. We'll get the very latest of the Saints and their OTAs with Chris Roseverglue next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Looking for great deals? Then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. There are plenty of two-for-one deals available right now. You can get a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50 or a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We welcome you back. Time to talk a little NFL football with our good friend who's a podcaster for Boot Crew Media, amongst many, many other things that he does. The one, the only Mr. Chris Roseverglue joining us yet again. Chris, thank you so much. For the time on this Wednesday, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jordy. Thank you for having me. Um, well, the pleasure is ours, and the audience is uh, is thrilled. So, uh, I guess the biggest takeaway from OTAs is you got a Michael Thomas uh, on the field, kind of in a in a uniform and talking and saying all the right things, and that's a great sign, man. Make sure make make sure your hope come alive a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't expect it, especially the sighting part. I thought maybe mandatory minicamp, absolutely training camp. But this is a great sign for Michael Thomas. And the thing about him showing up and then speaking to the media and just kind of expressing his gratitude to be back with the Saints, I think the one thing we can do, whether it's anyone, you, you could be the most optimistic human being in the world, you could be the most pessimistic human being in the world. The one thing you can do as of today, I think, is dismiss all those narratives about whether or not he wants to be there, how invested he is. Uh, He seems all the way in. Now it's a matter of whether or not he can stay healthy. And obviously time's going to tell the the story there. And we hope that Michael Thomas can stay healthy for all 17 games because they're going to be a different team if he's out there for a large chunk of the season. But he seems committed. And you can just tell when it comes to him and Derek Carr, I don't know what it exactly is. I don't know if there's similar work ethics, similar mentalities about how they approach the game. They just uh-huh. connect really well. And that's someone that you can tell Michael Thomas can't wait to play with. When Derek Carr starts mentioning that throughout his free agency process, Michael Thomas is saying, did you sign with the Saints yet? Did you sign with the Saints yet? Clearly, this is something he wanted to happen. Uh, and now it's about whether or not that connection can lead to wins 
come this fall. And I really think it can if Michael Thomas stays healthy. But obviously, this is great news for the Saints. And on top of all this, he says he'll be ready for the first day of training camp right. and be at full speed. So I feel like that's just the cherry on top of what was an awesome Tuesday for the Saints. That was that was the best news ever. With that in mind, if you do have a Michael Thomas and he returns to form with the, the rookie season that Chris Olave had and then the emergence of Rashid Shahid, that's a pretty formidable trio. Um, one, one of the top trios in the league, maybe? I think it would be. You know, I, I was talking about it on Twitter. People were saying whether or not it'd be a top 10 trio. And I said if healthy, I think it absolutely would be a top 10 trio. I got a little bit of pushback. But my question to people would be, if Michael Thomas is healthy, what other teams out there? I know the Bengals obviously have an outstanding trio, but there's not a lot of teams that can match what the Saints can do with theirs because you have guys in Shahid and Olave that can take the top off of a defense and just really burn you with one huge play. Then you got a guy like Michael Thomas who can do the death by a thousand cuts where he can just beat you on those slant routes, those out yeah. routes, anything over the middle of the field. He'll got, he'll get you there. And it might be methodical with the way he beats defenses. So I think he would give them just the all-around package of wide receiver. And I think that with Olave and Shahid really developing, there might be an opportunity to play Michael Thomas inside even more. And I think he can really take advantage of those smaller DBs, those slot guys who, yes, they're shifty, but would they be able to match up with the physicality of a Michael Thomas? I really don't know. So, uh, yeah, I think this would be an outstanding trio. And I love that he talked about taking those two guys underneath his wing. He clearly yeah. wants to be there. And uh, I think just on paper, there's a lot to like about the Saints team. I know it's scary to be super optimistic, but the talent is there. Talent is there. Derek Carr said that uh, Michael Thomas is a violent route runner. What does he mean by that, you think? Yeah, just the way he gets in and out of his breaks. Everything is just at full speed all the time. Michael Thomas is one of those guys where you don't think about him taking off a play. Like, he's running every single route like it's his last. And I think that's what, when people crack jokes about him always running slants, the reason he's so efficient at slants is how he gets in and out of those breaks when he just plants that right foot down or that left foot down and breaks out. Uh, the way he meets that point of attack, a lot of wide receivers can't do that. And I think for for Derek Carr, who's worked with some good receivers, obviously like Devontae Adams, even Hunter Renfro, I think he's never worked with a guy like Michael Thomas who in the short yard situation is just always open because no one in that really quick two, three second burst is going to match the energy that he brings. And I think that's what he's alluding to there. And obviously the mindset that Michael Thomas has also matches with the way he runs routes, but that is the perfect description of Michael Thomas's game. He really is a violent route runner. I'm curious, Derek Carr, a veteran, obviously, uh, but with a new team, how do you think they handle him with preseason? It's only two preseason games, right? Um, how do you think they handle him as far as playing time is concerned? Does he play a lot in the preseason? I mean, for, for Derek Carr, I, I don't see the the need to play him a lot in the preseason. I wouldn't mind if the Saints play him for a drive if they need to get something going. But uh, for him, maybe not against the Chiefs. Maybe their first preseason game you're kind of sitting in. Maybe the Chargers game you're looking at as a spot to get him in there. That's what I would think. And, and not for long. Uh, but, you know, that's a stadium that he's played at multiple times since he came from the Raiders. And I think there'll be some fam a familiarity there of the turf over there in L.A. And, I think that'd be a good spot, maybe a driver two at most, but it doesn't hurt to get him out there because, again, this is technically a new system for him, and even though he is a veteran and he's been around the block a million times, it never hurts just to have a little quick tune-up, but obviously that depends on the health of the O-line. If the O-line's all ready to go, put him out there. If the O-line's not ready till week one, I don't know if I'm throwing Derek Carr out there for a driver two with a couple of backups at the offensive line.
I don't think we've discussed this, but I've been proposing this since last season. I would love your your thoughts on it. Um, Pro Football Focus has him listed uh, as like the ninth best tight end in the league, and that's Taysom Hill, and he doesn't even play tight end. I've always been a proponent of playing him at tight end. He, I think he would be a mismatch. I think he obviously can catch the football, obviously has speed, obviously has power, I mean, I'm looking at the teams that have great tight ends. I, I just think that's a an opportunity for the Saints to take advantage of a great athlete, stick them at tight end, and and it's caused mismatch. He can do tip blocks and all that, but are, are the Saints wasting his ability? Do you think he could be a top tier tight end with his athleticism? You know, athletically speaking, I, I don't think there's a lot of guys out there that can match what he does. Uh, whether or not I put him at tight end, it's it's kind of torn. I tell you this, uh, Jordy, if they didn't add Foster Moreau, I, I would 1,000% be like, you got to get him more snaps at tight end because you'd look around at the rest of the position group, and I don't know if Lucas Kroll is going to take that next step. I don't know if Jesse James is going to be able to revert to his Pittsburgh Steelers days. So I would th- I would have thought that. I think now I still want to see him at tight end sometimes, but I think if the Saints can utilize him the way they did last year running the football, that actually might open up opportunities for when you put him at tight end. Defenses might lose sight of Taysom Hill and think, all right, he's just blocking here since the ball's not going to him, and that's a perfect opportunity for him to kind of slip out and use his speed to go downfield and make a big play. But I feel like when in 2021 when Taysom Hill had a, a nasty concussion against Washington on a play where he was catching a pass, I don't know if the Saints internally talked about a switch or not, but it feels like he just hasn't been used as much as a pass catcher yeah. since that moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder true. if that's where things shifted. But what I can say, and I was looking at this earlier today, I was doing a you know a podcast about the Saints' offensive stats they need to correct. And one of them was average time of drive. They ranked 21st in the NFL last year. And, and what went hand-in-hand in, hand in that was they only ranked 22nd in the league in yards per carry. And I think Taysom Hill, if they're going to fix those two numbers, you got to use him this season. And I, and I thought this, the games of the Saints won – QB power was utilized often, and even plays where he just handing it off to the running back, the threat of him even being out there was yeah. enough to kind of throw defenses off. So the Saints added Jamal Williams. They added Kendrick Miller. Obviously, Alvin will be playing whether or not it's a full season. We'll figure out later this year, probably around July or August. I think Taysom Hill needs to be utilized more, period, in the offense because that's when the Saints get the most out of their team, and they'll extend drives. But if you start using him early in the year as a running back, and then all of a sudden as a blocker, he slips out at the tight end position, you might get some big plays down the field. So I think they could be unique with him. I don't expect a full-time tight end switch over there. I think he's just so crafty as a runner, average six-point yards per carry last year. Uh, But we'll see what happens. I think he's such a unique athlete. Whatever they do with him should work. I just think they've got to utilize him more, don't you? I I mean, I know – that, that the pressure's on Pete Carmichael. They, they've got too many talented weapons out there. Uh, they got to utilize it. They, obviously, they brought John Gruden in because of his connection with Derek Carr, and Carr had his best seasons with Gruden, uh, known as an offensive uh, football coach and a very good one at that. When you look back at Derek Carr and success that he had um, with Gruden, what, what did that offense look like? What was Derek Carr doing? Yeah, I think a big part of it is the play-action game, and that's why I love that the Saints brought in two new running backs this year because I think one thing we lost kind of sight of last year through all the injuries and the quarterback injury injury situations and just the lack of explosive plays was outside of Alvin, who was the the complimentary piece, Mark Ingram, great all-time for the Saints, 
but obviously towards the tail end of his career. And then they recycled through guys like David Johnson, Dwayne Washington, even Latavius Murray, who had a really good game, but then got picked up by Denver. So they never had a chance to see whether or not a second stint with the Saints would have went well. I think that the Saints are adding now these complimentary pieces around Derek Carr. That's where you're going to get the best out of him. But I also think Derek Carr's best is when he's got a tight end who's just an athletic freak that can get down the field and make plays. And we saw that particularly in 2021 with Darren Waller. And I would not be shocked if we see that now in 2023 with Juwan Johnson, because I think Juwan Johnson, obviously the strides he took last year were tremendous. I wouldn't be shocked if he has another jump like that in him. Like, I don't think we saw the best of Juwan Johnson last year. I think there's a chance that might've been maybe the first step of his improvement. And there might be another phase that he can get to And that is possible. And for Derek Carr, whether it was the play action game and utilizing guys like Henry Ruggs downfield, the Saints have guys like that with Shahid and Olave, the tight end position, being able to utilize those guys like Darren Waller and Foster Moreau. Well, the Saints have Foster Moreau now and Juwan Johnson. So I think the piece is there. And obviously just playing complimentary football. And I think the running back room, the improvements the Saints made will allow that. I think Derek Carr is always going to be at his best when he's not asked to do everything. Now, he is great in fourth-quarter comebacks. I think people don't give him enough credit about that. When Since he's come in the league, if you look at fourth-quarter comebacks and game-winning drives, Derek Carr, Carr is towards the top of the list for those two categories. But you are not. You don't want to ask him for all four quarters right. to just carry an offense. Right. And I think the Saints are doing a good job of that, and you're seeing that now. Uh, if you look back with the Raiders, even though they had so many weapons last season, their offense, because their defense was so terrible – they were asked to do everything, and everyone looks at Josh Jacobs' numbers and says, well, why did Derek Carr struggle if he had the leading rusher? It was a little bit misleading. They were in these shootouts nonstop, so you're going to feel that pressure as a quarterback. I don't think he's going to feel that this year with the Saints defense that has enough talent to be top 10. So I think for New Orleans, it's all about making sure not everything's on Derek Carr's shoulders. In the fourth quarter, though, you're paying the big bucks for a reason. You hope that's when he steps up. Uh, Chris Roseglue with us, Boot Crew Media it's almost certain that Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended at some point in time. I don't know when, I don't know for how long, I have no idea. Who's going to be the, who's going to be the, the the number one running back when he's out in your opinion? So, I mean, on paper, without a doubt, will be Jamal Williams, a thousand yard rusher last year, 17 rushing touchdowns led the league in that category. What I'm interested to see though, is how fast does Kendra Miller progress in the saints playbook and, and just overall get a feel for that position at the pro level because this kid does it all. The more I watch him, the more I start to wonder if the Saints have, have their starting running back of the future whenever they're ready to kind of phase out of Alvin's time. And obviously there'll be a sad moment for Saints fans, but this kid really does it all, runs between the tackles. He has Le'Veon Bell-esque patience sometimes when he's just waiting for the hole to open up, which I love mm. that about his game. And one thing that he does similar to Alvin is I always feel like when Alvin's getting down the field, he never runs at full speed. Like he could kick it to another gear, but he just doesn't have to. And I see that with Kendra Miller sometimes. There was a run he had against Texas for 70 yards, and you watch the play, and you're like, I can't tell if he's running at full speed or if that's just how he plays the game. And it's at such a smooth pace that it just looks just aesthetically pleasing compared to other running backs. But I think Jamal Williams will be the running back one. I just wouldn't be surprised if it's like an eight-game absence for Alvin, and no one really knows how long it will be if he misses time. I wouldn't be shocked if by, let's say, the halfway point of that suspension – all of a sudden, Kendra Miller's getting it going, and you're like, okay, he might be kind of the lead back in that situation because I think back to 2017, around week four or week five is when Alvin just started taking over, and the Saints were like, all right, we got to play the kid now. You know, I don't care that we signed Adrian Peterson. This kid's got to play. So I think Kendra Miller could eventually emerge, but for now, I'd probably think 
somewhere around 15, 18 carries for Jamal Williams, maybe around eight for Kendrick Miller, if that would be the split so far to start the season. Um, Chris, we keep talking offense, offense, offense. Are, are we sliding the defense? Are we? Should we be concerned about this Saints defense? It's interesting. I think there's two spots where I have some concern. The first one is the the linebacker depth or lack thereof. Uh, you yeah. know, if Mario Pete Werner goes down, are DeMarco Jackson or Zach Bond ready to step up? I don't know if I can answer that one definitively. I know that DeMarco Jackson has been really good at OTA so far, and the Saints have been impressed with what he's done with the second string unit. But I don't know if the second year player out of App State is ready for that leap, kind of like what we saw with Caden Ellis last year. Caden right. played so well, he kind of parlayed himself into a huge contract with the Falcons. So I, I think that would be my concern. And then the other part that is more so a concern about whether or not the productivity there is not so much is the talent there. Defensive line, I know the talent's there. I mean, I was going through it this morning just looking at the rotations. The Saints have about nine defensive linemen that I think are quality football players. The problem is a couple of them, I don't know what I'm going to get. I don't know what I'm going to get out of Peyton Turner. I also right. don't know what I'm going to get out of rookies in Brian Brzee and Isaiah Foskey, and that's not a knock on them. I just don't know if they're going to be right. immediate impact guys or if they're going to take time to develop. Uh, and even guys that the Saints brought in this year, Colin Saunders from Kansas City, if he's healthy, I expect him to absolutely deliver. He had his best season just now with the Chiefs, really stepped up in the playoffs, but health's been a concern for him. Is he going to stay healthy? If so, I expect him to step up. Nathan Shepard didn't really produce that well in New York, but the Saints signed him with a vision of we can turn him into a pass rushing defensive tackle. Now you got to see if that comes to fruition. So I think the pieces are there for the D line. I just want to see if they can put it all together. And obviously everyone's waiting for Peyton Turner to finally step up. And I I think this kid does have the talent and I don't think it's him being a raw prospect. I think the skills are there. He just can't stay on the field. So you got to hope that he's out there too. So I, I think I love the secondary but the linebacker depth and whether or not the defensive line is going to reach their potential. Those are two questions I have, but even with those concerns, I think the saints have enough chess pieces that Dennis Allen, even if it's not the prettiest of ways, will manufacture a top half of the league unit on defense. All right. OTAs continue today and tomorrow. And then mandatory mini camp next week, Chris Rose for glue boot crew media. You're the best man. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking with you. It's the best. Thank you so much for having me, Jordy. All right, Chris, you take care. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll wrap up our number one, set the stage for a very busy hour number two next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And some of our great partners like ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets and Ducks, Eon of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville by the Louisiana Lottery, D.C.'s Little Capital Exxon, and Cajun Chef. Don't agree with what Jordy has to say? Not to worry. He's always open to a healthy debate. Well, Dean, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that Actually, question. Actually, I'd like to jump in and take that one, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Have at it, Hoss. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111. Now back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, we are back 55 minutes after the hour. Uh, So we talked NBA playoffs. We talked New Orleans Saints. Coming up, hour number two, we'll talk LSU-Kentucky Super Regional uh, with Todd Walker, the former All-American at LSU, who's now in the broadcasting booth. He was at the Kentucky 
regional, the Lexington Regional, called the game for the right to survive and advance to the Super Regional for uh, Kentucky when they took on Indiana. So we'll talk with Todd. Uh, Rory McElroy says he feels like a sacrificial lamb and he still hates the LIV tour. Uh, Alex Myers of Golf Digest. What does this merger mean for the PGA Tour? And what does it mean for all these local tournaments like the Zurich Classic? Is that going to go bye-bye like the dinosaur? Uh, so we'll talk about that with, with Alex Myers. And Mike Huguenin will join us. Uh, as well as the SEC says, nah, okay, we couldn't get the vote. We're not going to nine games yet. We're going to keep our eight-game schedule. How long will that last? I don't think it's going to last long at all. So we'll discuss that with um, Mike Hugan, and then we'll have some birthday wishes uh, as well coming your way. But we're getting closer and closer to Saturday at 2 p.m., LSU two wins away from going to the – College World Series. Meanwhile, Oklahoma and Florida State get underway for the softball World Series championship tonight. All right. Hour number two straight ahead. The Jordy Helford Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour two of two, and away we go on this Wednesday, June 7th, the year 2023, with my producer, James Mesh, inside the EFCO Development Studios. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're on KLCJ 1041 Lake Charles, streaming around the world. 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can turn your television set on and, and look at us because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. By now, you know, LSU hosting the Super Regional starting this Saturday at 2 p.m. The Kentucky Wildcats trying to, to make history. They've never been to the College World Series. If they beat LSU two out of three, they will go to Omaha. No one knows Kentucky better than my next guest, one of the greatest LSU baseball players ever, and now does a tremendous job as a color analyst for college baseball on ESPN and the SEC Network. Also does a good job in the in the studio as well. Um, great, great player and good friend, Todd Walker, kind enough to join us. Todd, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Jordy, I didn't know you. Are you in Lafayette or Baton Rouge? Uh, oh, I'm everywhere. Yeah, you must be. I thought you I'm were everywhere. I you were in Baton Come Rouge, on, man. man. But I guess this is a Lafayette deal. We're all, we're all, all. You know, with today's social media and with uh, with all the the great technology, I and mean, we we got people listening to us in Alaska. It just doesn't matter. Oh, there's there L- you go. Where, all right. LSU, well, here we go. Where there's LSU fans, they find us. So. Um, you happen to be in Lexington for the 
um, regional. So you got to see Kentucky up close and personal. You saw them beat Indiana to advance. Um, what are your impressions of the team that's coming to Baton Rouge to play in the postseason now? There's only two teams within the 30-game schedule of the SEC, and we all know that the SEC the best baseball conference in the country. Uh, there's only two teams that were in the top five in all three major categories, which was batting average, team ERA, and defense. One was Vanderbilt, and number two was Kentucky. So they're a well-rounded team. Now, they've only hit 51 home runs as opposed to LSU with 126 or whatever it is. Um, so they don't hit the long ball. They don't do a lot of damage all at once, but they'll kind of cut you little by little and little by little and inning by inning until all of a sudden you're behind by four or five runs. Uh, they run well. They're going to bunt. So if the first guy gets on, second dude of the entire game is going to bunt. Their number four hole hitter, Emilian Petre, has one home run on the year. So it kind of shows you the offense that you're dealing with. One through nine, though, they can handle the bat, go line to line, bunt, do whatever they need to do to win. Um, the pitching is what I was impressed with. Now, I followed Kentucky all year long, and they didn't pitch it like they are now. Austin Strickland and Zach Lee are, and Mason Moore out of the bullpen are pitching at an elite level, as good as anybody. Uh, throwing strikes, power sinkers, sliders, you know, uh, they're very, very good. Uh, Travis Smith is doing a good job. He started game one in the regional for Kentucky. Uh, but Mason Moore, when he comes out of the bullpen, watch out. Um, so they're pitching at a high level is Kentucky. So I don't think this is going to be the offensive series that people think it might be. You know, uh, look, no one knows this better than you. So I'm, I'm going to lean on your expertise playing week to week in the sec. I I'm sure prepares you for a lot of things. You got to deal with tough crowds. You got to deal with a grueling schedule and everything that comes with it. But you've been at the you've been at the old box. You've seen this place, super regional weekend. That's different. And for a team that's not exactly um, rich in tradition when it comes to tournament experience, you think Kentucky's ready to face what they're going to face at the box? Maybe not early, Jordy. But like I've said, as we all know, and you know through basketball too, momentum can change pretty quickly. So initially, yeah. when Kentucky walks in. LSU has the advantage. But after the first inning, if Kentucky were able to put the inevitable two together, like Skip Berman always talks about, or right. make a nice play or whatever, you know, hit a home run, then the momentum will shift pretty quickly. But I don't anticipate that happening with Paul Skeens on the mound. He's as good as anybody in the country. We know that. And I expect Paul Skeens to be on top of his game. And that's why I tell you, it's going to be a tough, tough deal for Kentucky and LSU to score a lot of runs. They may not throw. Their best is Zach Lee, and he hasn't pitched the opener uh, yet. Like so, none of the none of the SEC weekends, and not this this weekend for the regional. Zach Lee's their best. I think he'll go game two. So they're going to have to see what they can do in game one. Now that's not just to avoid Paul Skeens. They've got other arms that they can they can throw in there. Um, but, but keep in mind, Zach Lee is their version of Paul Skeens. Not as good, but but their best. And he'll go game two. Hmm. Um, you, you said they, they put you, you know, like, like a little knife here and there. They don't hit many home runs. But who's their most – give me some names with the bat in their hand that impressed you. Uh, Jackson Gray is the leadoff guy from uh, Western Kentucky transfer. He's their center fielder. He's a big dude. Doesn't hit a lot of home runs, but he can handle the bat. 
Um, they what you'll see, Paul Skeens may not allow it, but they'll get to a lot of full counts. Like they they just work uh-huh. the count. You know, they'll take strike one. They'll they'll wait around. They're patient, which I love. Um, Jackson Gray leads that whole thing off, so he'll he'll almost definitely get in one or two three ball counts, and you know, so make the pitcher work a little bit. Devin Burks is their three hole guy, also a not a lot of power, but he's kind of their energy energy kind of uh, leader catcher, you know, vocal guy. Uh, Coach Nick Minzione says never has a bad day, just always smiling and upbeat. Um, but they're pretty solid throughout the lineup. I mean, even their seven and eight guys, Walshmith down there. Um, they've got some guys that can, can pop it out of the park. But one through nine, they are going to lay a butt down if the situation warrants it. And in some cases, if you're not paying attention, they'll try to butt for a base hit. But it's small ball at its finest, and they do a nice job of it. I guess pressure is going to be on Tommy White at third base. Uh, everybody talks about his hitting. You don't talk much about his his fielding capabilities. Um, I'm sure he's going to be put to the test a little bit. He's going to have to play in. Yeah, almost every hitter he's going to have to play in the grass, which opens up that hole for these hitters, you know, yeah. because if you're playing in, clearly you can't you don't have the range that you would have if you're back on the dirt. So he didn't have to play in every pitch of every hitter of every game. But mostly you're going to see Tommy White even with the bag because if he's not, then one through nine, any of these hitters will put it down the third baseline and, and beat it out for a base hit. I guess LSU's facing a situation where their best um, texture is not their best hitter. Um, Travinsky has been on a tear behind the plate with the bat in his hand, but Malazzo's a better, better catcher, better, you know, against a team like Kentucky. What do you think Jake Johnson does? You got to have the bat of Travinsky in there, but maybe you put him at DH. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Because Kentucky is going to really test the catcher and his ability to field and throw and command things. So I can't imagine leaving Braden Jobert out of the lineup, but that seems like that's what you'd have to do if you don't catch Travinsky. Uh, and the other thing, too, is I don't have a problem with Travinsky and his defensive abilities and his ability, so I think he does a nice job. Uh, Milazzo might be a click a click better, but what Travinsky gives you offensively, just you can't you can't keep him out. And we all know that you steal on the pitcher. You don't steal on the catcher. So what that means is Paul Skeens and Ty Floyd or whoever's up there, slide steps, holding, holding counts. Uh, don't let them time you up and know when you're throwing the off speed, uh, meaning don't throw the off speed when they're going to run. You know, And Skip Bertman was the best right. at knowing when a guy was going to try to steal a bag. He'd throw over a couple of times. You can kind of see whether or not the guy's going to try to steal, that sort of thing. Right. So I'm not worried at all about Travinsky behind the plate. I think you put him there okay. and let him do his thing. Gotcha. That bat is, speaks for itself. Uh, Kentucky scored 30 runs in its last three games. LSU's popping the ball out the yard. Um, when you look at this you know, up close and personal, what do you see? What, what's the outcome in your mind? Well, this is going to be a low-scoring series, like I said, mainly because the two guys, Austin Strickland, who may throw game two or game three for Kentucky, I don't know where they're going to put Zach Lee, but I I can't imagine them holding Zach Lee back to game three or Austin Strickland. So it may be a deal where Zach Lee does match up with Paul Skeens. That's their best. Austin Strickland's probably pitching the best. I mean, and between Austin Strickland as a starter, who, who, by the way, just became a starter. He was a bullpen guy. I think he only had his second start. This weekend in the regional, I think he went six innings, did a really nice job. 
and Mason Moore out of the bullpen, those two guys are pitching right now at a high, high level. And, and I think that's how Kentucky will front load it, um, where Mason Moore will be the first guy of the bullpen. Now, what I mean when I talk about Joe Barry is the only thing Kentucky doesn't have is the dominant left-hander. Tyler Bosma is their left-handed starter, but he didn't even pitch in the regional. So okay. they're coming at you with a bunch of right-handed arms, which, again, would, would, would tell you that they need Joe Barry in the lineup as a left-handed hitter. Clearly, Kate Clay yep. Beloso has to be in there as a lefty. Trey Morgan as yep. a lefty. And so uh, more to the point that Travinsky will start. But they, that's the one thing I'll say. for They don't have this guy they can bring in out of the bullpen as a left-handed dominant guy that can, they can match up against those left-handed hitters in LSU's lineup. Todd Walker, fresh off the pickleball court. Um, you're liking this TV gig, huh? You're having fun with it. You're good. Well, I appreciate it, Jordy. This is the one time of year we're going to bust out in baseball conversation because back in Shreveport, nobody wants to hear it, especially not my family. And even my, my, my son and daughter who's playing baseball and softball, I try, to, I try to coach them and help them. And you know how that works. You parents out there that try to tell the kids to do something. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they don't want to hear gonna, it either. So this yeah, is my only chance it, to, to, to speak about what I know. Well, you do a great job. Thanks for the time, well, man. Uh, where uh, where are you going to be? Uh, what regional are you going to be? Super regional are you going to be doing? Headed down to Baton Rouge tonight for the Baton Rouge Rougarou game, and then tomorrow headed to Hattiesburg for Southern Miss and Tennessee. Woo! That ought to be a really, really really good one man you've been high on tennessee all year um yeah. and they're two wins away but i think that's going to be a great series oh man did you see the tennessee clemson game the other night i mean it was i did, it was as I did. a baseball game as I've, I've ever seen well they snatched uh, uh victory out of the jaws of defeat man it was crazy clemson thought they had it won thank goodness for instant replay right oh the Grimes kid went eight and two thirds. Jordy, he went. He he was one out away. They switched pitchers. Wow. Zane Denton's at the plate, and he throws fastball strike one, fastball strike through right. Zane Denton swinging right through it with a four-two deficit with two guys on. He throws another fastball after a wasted slider, and Zane Denton hits a three-run homer to five-four. Yeah. They go to the bottom of the ninth. Clemson scores the one run, ties it up. They go fourteen. What a game! I mean, it was it was crazy. Spectacular. Safe travels, my friend. Always great talking to you. And uh, keep up the great work, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Jordy. Thank you. All right. Todd Walker, kind enough to join us. We'll take a quick time out here. Live Golf, PGA Tour, European Tour, all merging together. What does it mean? Alex Myers, Golf Digest, explains next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Bordelon's Furniture, a flat-screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover, powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. They say shooters shoot. He's a man who shoots from the hip and a man who's hip when he shoots. And no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the Blonde Bomber. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
And we are back. Um, it's time to, to make some sense of the the revelation of yesterday um, on the 79th anniversary of D-Day at Normandy. The PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and Live Golf announced their Armistice Day yesterday. The uh, three entities plan to merge and create, um, I guess, a golf global entity. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, here to uh, to make hay and uh, to try and explain all of this to us. Alex, I mean, the players didn't know about this. Nobody knew about it. How shocked, first of all, thank you for your time, but how shocked were you as an insider of the sport when this came out yesterday? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'll try to make sense of it to everybody. It's hard because this is not making sense to a lot of people. And, yes, surprised, flabbergasted, shocked, stunned, whatever you want to say. When we first started seeing these rumblings yesterday, I happened to be in the office. Um, I did a double take. I thought it was April Fool's. You know, I had a couple veteran reporter writers saying, there's no way this is true. And then, lo and behold, you know, it just trickled out more and more to the where it clearly was true. This clearly was going to happen. Um, it, it's a shocking reversal. I mean, I think we all knew that there was a chance that there might be some sort of peace negotiation down the line between these two before they, you know, sabotaged each other too much. But for it to happen this quickly, and like you said, without the players even knowing, I mean, we're talking top players going on Twitter and, and dis, you know expressing disappointment and shock and saying, how can I find out about this on Twitter? This is terrible. Um, it, it truly was shocking. A, a crazy day yesterday, Jory. Alex, does it come down in the simplest of terms? I always say, follow the money. And Saudi yep. Arabia's public investment fund um, compared to the PGA um, war chest, it, it ain't even close. So they're going back and forth with lawsuit against lawsuit, and the PGA can't compete. Does it come down to, in the simplistic of terms, follow the money? Yes, without a doubt. And, you know, the tour knew that going into this, that they weren't going to be able to win um, a money battle against the, the Saudis uh, and the PIF fund. Um, it was just kind of a matter of how long, you know, Saudi Arabia was going to go through with this. I mean, we'd heard rumblings earlier this year that uh, the higher-ups there weren't weren't pleased with how it was going. You know, they didn't really get a great TV deal. They're kind of doing that ad share thing with the CW, um, which no one's watching, as, we, as evident by the TV ratings. You know, right. no one's bought any of these franchises yet, which they're, they're trying to peddle around as being worth, you know, billions of dollars when there's, they're not worth anything, obviously, because no one's buying them. Uh, right. And so it kind of looked like, well, they might have to really lose a lot of money um, to really give this thing a chance. And then lo and behold, the PGA Tour kind of kind of bails them out. So the, the only possible reason for this is, yes, they just had so much money, and the, it was such a great offer for the Tour to not to, – to, they couldn't turn it down, an offer you can't refuse, I guess. And um, part of that as well, you mentioned some of the legal stuff, both sides going at it, you know, how long do you want to dr drag out these court cases? How much do you want to have all the inner workings and everything of your organizations come to light? Um, there could have been some aspect of that where 
both sides, you know, wanted to shut that down quickly. But of course, that legal battles are costly as well. So yes, in the end, it all comes back to money. Like you said, the tourist war chest is is nothing. It's a blip compared to the money that these guys have. And so when you're facing an opponent like that, um, and you and you actually, you know. And they're bluffing, at least not not bluffing, but they're at least saying, "Oh, we'll we'll keep doing this for as long as you want to." Yeah. Then you kind of start, you adjust, and and maybe you take that deal. But again, yes, to answer your question, it always comes down to the money, a hundred percent. This is a business. Saddest people in the world are the attorneys for the PGA. They were going to ride yeah. this thing and make a lot of money. All right. So anyway, let's get your crystal ball out because the unknown. Hmm is how do you schedule three tours together, possibly as early as 2024? What do you do? Is this become a global tour? So instead of, mm-hmm. uh, and, and what does it do to people in our part of the world with the Zurich Classic? What becomes of these tournaments? So your crystal ball, Envision 2024, what is the world, what does the golf world look like? Well, so, I, up until a couple hours ago, I would have really had no clue. But according to Jay Monahan, he just made some comments that he doesn't expect the 2024 PGA Tour schedule to change. So that's a bit of a shock because we're all thinking, you know, even in all the, the memos and the press releases, is that, you know, they're going to incorporate live and even the team aspect. The t- you know, the word team was thrown around there a couple times. Um, well, obviously, other than Zurich, which is a, the two-man team, you don't have any, any team events on, on the PGA Tour. So for him to say that it, it's going to remain unchanged, um, and then also at a similar timing, Greg Norman, who was also apparently in the dark about this happening, was called moments yeah. before the news broke, which just shows you how tight the inner circle is uh, that wow. was dealing with this. He's come out and told his staff, we're not going anywhere don't you know we're 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 good? So, like you said, it it does seem to, that maybe at least at the beginning, um, you know, there's going to be this one global entity, which the name is even TBD. But under that, there's kind of three main branches in the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, uh, you know, the old Europe, European Tour, and then the Live Tour. So, at least for the foreseeable future, it looks like they're going to try to operate those three separately. Now, obviously, with the the PIF money is going to be maybe funding, you know, I, I guess we can expect maybe some of the European tour, the DB World Tour purses to go up. The PGA Tour had already ratcheted up um, their purses in response this year, obviously. A lot of those designated events, you know, the $20 million purses and $3.6 million to the winner, like we just saw Victor Hovland. Um, it's possible the tour, you know, maybe it kind of overextended itself a little with that. So they get this new you know, infusion of money, and now they'll be able to satisfy those purses going forward. But at least for the time being, they're, it, it seems like they're trying to do this without making any changes to the schedule, which I, I'm, I'm surprised by because you would think that they would have tried to do some sort of mix um, with the live concept and, and the PGA Tour. So I'm not the greatest businessman. Um, so what is Saudi Arabia's... <laughs> Piff, get out of all of this. I mean, what, what what are they get? I mean, they're putting up billions of dollars. What are they getting in return? I lost you there, Jordy. I can't hear you. Sorry. I'm just wondering what what does Saudi Arabia's Piff 
what are they getting in return for all this? They're putting up billions and billions, and what do they get? Yeah, well, I mean, they think they're getting professional golf. I mean, you know, they've they've I don't know if infiltrated is the right word. That sounds devious, but uh, you know, they've they've got worked their way into um, European soccer by owning a number of the biggest franchises. They've worked their way into. Formula One racing, they kind of tried to take it over completely last year. That didn't exactly happen. Um, they've tried to take over uh, world wrestling, uh, you know, uh, and so they kind of are going down the list, and golf maybe is the sport now that they think they can kind of just take over and run. And, you know, we've heard this term a lot, sports washing, the last few years. There's certainly an aspect of that to this, I, I believe. I mean, you know, if, if they're running um, at least the business side of the biggest pro golf league leagues in the world. And they're getting, you know, American businesses to do business with them and vice versa. Cause you have to think a lot of, you know, a lot of these uh, sponsors that sponsor the tour now are kind of, or TV partners are kind of now working with, with the Saudi government um, in a roundabout way. It kind of makes them like, well, Hey, we can't be that bad. Look, we've got all these, people working with us in the U S yeah. and everything else across the world. So that's, there's definitely a PR angle for them here. Um, and, and look, I think they think uh, that this business model with the teams eventually could work now, if they have access to all the best players um, and you kind of split those up amongst teams. And now, you know, Jordy, a lot of these companies were very apprehensive to get involved with Live. Obviously, that's why they haven't really brought on any big sponsors yet. But right. now that it's with the PGA Tour, you could see a, you know, a golf equipment manufacturer, Callaway, Taylor. You could see yeah. teams be sponsored by those companies or apparel yes. companies or, you know, just any company in general. And, you know, everybody wearing those logos on the team and everything else. And then, you know, you sell those teams and, the players on the team get equity. It is an interesting model um, that we haven't really seen in, in pro sports. So I think they think they can make money that way just by kind of revolutionizing the sport. Uh, but yeah, for now they're just, they're putting up billions of dollars and just kind of hoping something sticks. Yes. It's kind of like a, a sport with no borders. I mean, we're going to get to the point where, you know, those live players couldn't come and play in, in regular PGA tour events. Now that's probably off the boards and PGA players for the right purse for a live tournament. You only get to play 54 holes. I told you golfers were going to be able to wear shorts one day. They, they're yep. going to go play in that tournament and have, and suffer no consequences. That's, that's what I see coming out of this. It's, it's a sport with no border. Yeah, it's very odd. And, and obviously the transition is going to be the most awkward part. I mean, you have, players who are furious at Jay Monahan, you have players who are yeah. mad at each other, you have other players who are now who who already spoke out against players who left for live and now they're going to be back in the same pot and you know how does that work out and then you have players who are ticked off that they didn't take the money because now it's like well what what was the penalty these guys are going to be welcome back yeah. now Jay Monahan did say today that uh, he he didn't say that the that the guys who left were going to be penalized, but he said that the guys who were loyal are going to be quote rewarded. Now, what that means, we don't know. I mean? can't imagine that it's in the form of hundreds of millions of dollars, like what some of these guys turned down to be, you know, quote loyal to to the tour. But it does seem like it's going to be awkward, um, at least for a bit, with some of these you know players um, now 
kind of being part of the same team, so to speak. Whereas, you know, a couple of days ago, they were, they were almost sworn enemies. So, you know, I will say a lot of those guys, as we've talked about, you know, some of the drama between them is, is probably overbuilt. Um, yes. You know, some guys said, all right, you want to take the money, go for it. It's not for me. Um, they didn't really hate some of those guys for it. But it's hard to not be a little envious now when those guys kind of got their cake and now they get to eat it too by, by coming back on the PGA Tour. Alex, in 30 seconds, is uh, yeah. is this something that the players can band together and say, hey, Jay Monahan, you got to go. You're done. Get out of here. They, they can totally – I mean, Jay Monahan could be replaced. That's for sure. And, and, and there was apparently at this meeting yesterday a lot of people who were calling for his – resignation um that being said i I don't i think it's above them to stop this process i do think it will be obviously uh, looked into by the government and other things because this you know they're trying to say this isn't a merger but it certainly looks like one and like you said jordy i'm not a business guy but there's certain rules that you kind of have to follow so there's a lot for this to finally get all sorted out but um it certainly seems to be headed down this path and, and yeah just very shocking still a lot, a lot of questions yet to be answered. Yeah, a lot of sure. things. It's up in the wind, but uh, <laughs> thank you for taking some time. I know you're busy, but we greatly appreciate it, buddy. Hang in there. and um, They're going <laughs> to be wearing shorts now, Alex. Care, I'm man. telling you. We'll talk. All right, buddy. Take care. Alex <laughs> Myers, Golf Digest. We'll take a timeout. Uh, Mike Huguenin uh, joins us next. The SEC sticking with eight games, not rather than going to a nine-game conference schedule. His thoughts next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at the game wish you would go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. Turn that bell on so you can get notifications when we post our new content and game recaps. Again, at the game Louisiana on YouTube. Once again, at the game Louisiana on YouTube. You'll enjoy it. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Michael, it's been a while, my friend. Hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for your time, buddy. How are you? Doing uh, doing well, no question. Good. Well, um, the SEC had their uh, annual spring meeting, and there, again, another failed attempt by the league to move to nine conference games. The vote was nine to five against nine games did the sec make a big mistake here yeah um i i think it's a a big mistake that's just temporary because you you can't be a not a 16 team league and play eight conference games but i I think the the, there's i don't think frankly there's a legit reason to continue at eight um I think they should have gone to nine. They're going to go to nine eventually. So why didn't they just go ahead and do it? Will, do you think, will the conference bow to Alabama? Because Alabama's uh, raised their arms. You heard Nick Saban. It's not fair. We've got to play Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. 
Um, will the leagues placate Alabama and eliminate a Tennessee or an LSU? And if they do that, what kind of message does that send to the rest of the league? Right, and the interesting thing about this, Alabama has played LSU every year since 1964. Um, and the other two rivalries are much longer. So they've played those three teams for, this will be the 59th, but this will be the 60th season in a row. So that, that's, that's a lame reason. But, um, you know, if they, if they get rid of Tennessee, uh, whatever, who cares? But I, I think the key is that when, they, when it is a 16-team league, it's going to be nine conference games. And I think every SEC fan can rejoice because, you know, f- you know forget focusing on the conference game aspect focus instead on the non-conference game aspect. And, yes, LSU this year plays Florida State. That will be the best non-conference game played by anybody this entire season nationally. Their other non-conference games this year are Grambling, who cares, Army, who cares, Georgia State, who cares. Um, Tennessee's non-conference games, for instance, Virginia, okay, Austin P, UTSA, and UConn. Texas A&M is playing New Mexico, UL Monroe, Abilene Christian, and Miami. So it's basically SEC teams right now play four non-conference games, one legit, and three garbage, and yet you're selling tickets for the three garbage games basically at the same price for the other games. And I think if I'm a fan, I'm already ticked off because of the scheduling, going to be extremely ticked off the next two seasons because it's more the same, and I'll be much happier when it becomes a nine-game conference schedule because my perception and assumption is going to be there's still going to be one good non-conference opponent and two bad ones, but it's better to have just two bad ones than three bad ones. So, but again, I think the SEC um, sort of sort of lame not to go to nine conference games right now. Yeah, I just I, I don't understand why they didn't do it. Um, Alabama athletic director Greg Byrne proclaimed that before the SEC could move to a nine-game schedule in 2024, it would need more information oh, on the on. new. I mean, that's on the new 12-team you know, playoff. That, that, that's like coach speak when you ask a coach, well, what's your offensive line look? Oh, it's going to be good if we get the young players to come through. we got some veterans. It's garbage. And the idea that they need more time is right. everybody present, even, the, even Byrne when he wrote that should have been rolling his eyes because, as right. you and I have talked before, remember the 2020 season where everybody played 10 conference games. The conference came up with a schedule in about two weeks. It can be done. So you don't need to gather more information. You have more information than you need already. Um, you know, 9-3 and three regular season record when there's a 12-team playoff is not a kiss of death if you played a good schedule. Um, yeah. So the whole idea about needing more time, oh, my goodness, that's just – it, yeah, this I can't isn't use about the word because it's not safe for public consumption. But that's a ridiculous, ridiculous thing to say. I am one thousand percent in agreement. So this isn't about the leadership of a Greg Sankey or the money 
from a restructured exclusive ESPN media rights contract. This is about egos. I think and, it's ego, but I think there is money involved as well. I think the thought is that, okay, when, when we go to the 16-team conference, um, we're going to be giving you one extra game a year, so we're going to want more money. And that's fine. I think right. they're going to get it. Um, right. But it's, to me, it's sort of, it, you know, the, it just means more. Well, it just means more when we get paid more. That's what it really means. And the the, yeah. the slogan the next two years is every time SC. I don't care if you're the most hardcore SEC fan in the world. The next two years, whenever you've seen a just means more TV commercial during a football game, roll your eyes and throw something at the TV because that's not true. The next two seasons. I'm with you. Uh- and what what does the league preach, right? No school is bigger than any other. Alabama, right. just as important as Vanderbilt, Georgia, Florida, just as important as the Mississippi schools. That ain't the case. You've no, been preaching that think, forever. Yeah, and I think part of it, I guess, South. I think it was South Carolina, Kentucky, and Mississippi State beforehand. At least the thought was those three schools are hell-bent on keeping it at eight. Okay, so you're the SEC. You're letting Kentucky, Mississippi State, and South Carolina tell you what you need to do. Um, I guess what the only five schools that voted for the nine games were Florida, LSU, Georgia, Missouri, and I forget the other one. Um, it's but it's 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 just ridiculous. Uh, again, it, I think you can sort of put up with it for two more seasons. But I think right now I'm excited because at, at some point it is going to be nine conference games. You're going to get rid of the, one of the total garbage non-conference games. You're going to have good teams playing good teams, um, more so than even than you have now, and that's a gigantic positive, gigantic positive. I think Greg Sankey was taken aback at the vote. I think yeah, he, I think he, I prob- think he, he, he had this in the bag. Because I also think, though, that if if it were a 16-team league and there was an idea that we're going to play nine conference games, he would make surreptitious phone calls to nine of the schools and say, get on board or we're going to out you as being too weak to play nine conference games. So I think there's, again... When it comes to when it comes to sixteen team league, they'll play nine. But if I'm an SEC fan, and I am an SEC fan, I went to an SEC school. The idea that the SEC could have been playing two non just two bad non conference games in twenty four and twenty five should should tick fans off. I'm with you. Uh, nine game schedule. One of those uh, rent a win games goes away because the SEC says you got to play one. Uh, non-conference game against a power five school. Right. Uh, and then all the rest, you can do whatever the heck you want. I, I just don't know how, you know, fans, you're right. I mean, I got season tickets to LSU football games. I'm giving my tickets away. No offense, Grambling. No offense. Right, right. Some of and these, jo- I'm, I'm giving State, them away. Okay. Army, I think I'd go to just be, and I'll be honest, Army is, is a different yeah. kind of cat. Because that that option offense is different, it, it's it's something that you don't see much anymore. Plus, it's a game that's going to last two and a half hours because Army doesn't throw the ball. But this year, let's look at this year's SEC schedule. There's 14 teams, obviously. Two, 
Two of the 14 are playing two Power 5 schools in the non-conference. That's Florida and South Carolina. Everybody else is playing one. South Carolina is playing UNC and Clemson. Florida is playing Utah and FSU. And every other league team is playing one Power 5 opponent. Um, you know, and the SEC of the Power 5 leagues, of the five Power 5 leagues, SEC teams as a whole play fewer Power five games on a season basis than anybody else. So, because they're playing nine of the, uh, 11 to 12, 12 of the teams are playing nine. And then you look at a school like most of the Big Ten schools are playing 10 or 11. Most of the Pac 10 schools are playing 10 or 11. Most of the ACC schools are playing 10 or 11. Heck, the Big Ten plays 10 conference games. So, the, the SEC is the outlier here. Uh, and it doesn't mean more. Yeah, Mike Huguenin with us. Um, we, we've always talked about this is the time of year. You don't want to be in the headlines. This is oh. when you want to be training and working out and getting ready for fall camp. So um, g- give me a team in the SEC. I think we all know George is going to be really good. Are we, You know, it is, I saw one um, one journalist, I guess you call it, thinking that Alabama is on the decline and about to implode. I mean, where do they come up with that? Yeah, I don't think they're going to implode. I mean, this is this Alabama team, I think, has more questions than last year's, unquestionably, because they don't have a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, last right. year they returned the Heisman winner, a quarterback. Um, and I think you can make a strong case that LSU – is, it should be the SEC West favorite, but Alabama's not going anywhere. Um, but, you know, and you know, George is not going anywhere. LSU is going to be good, but I think there is. Okay, that's the that's three of the fourteen teams. I think there are is at least one glaring question about the other eleven, uh, and some teams have more than one glaring question. But at least to me, on paper. This top-to-bottom SEC, far more questions than usual uh, for a wide variety of reasons. Mississippi State, well, unfortunately, the death of Mike Leach, what's their offense going to look like? Uh, Is Tennessee really truly counting on Joe Milton? Um, Because he has had the starting job twice before, once in Michigan, once at Tennessee, and performed abysmally and lost the job. Texas A&M, how are Fisher and Petrino going to coexist? And what's yeah. A&M's offense going to look like? Because that receiving core has some work to be done. Um, Ole Miss, that... how much better are they going to be defensively this year? And is Jackson Dart going to be the quarterback? Or is it going to be Spencer Sanders? Is it going to be a controversy all year? South mm-hmm. Carolina, um, which is the true Spencer Rattler? the one who played right. the last three games of last year, or the one who played the first ten after failing at Oklahoma. So there's just tons of questions about the SEC, uh, which makes this, I think, uh, a, a more interesting season than usual because there are more questions, vastly more questions than usual. I'm with you. Mike Hugan and kind enough to join us. I really appreciate the time. I had to, I had to deal with this live golf thing and, oh, and all my. that stuff. Yeah, that, that's just just follow the money. But I think all the eyes of the SEC football world are going to be on Texas A&M 
And how do they survive at Miami, at LSU, at Tennessee a week after they play Alabama? At old, they got a tough road to hoe. Yeah, I don't know how good Miami to is going to be. But um, that uh, their first conference games against Auburn, um, and that will be interesting for both teams. Because um, I think, you know, Auburn, their fan base is insane in one respect. NMs is insane as well. So whoever loses the Auburn Texas A&M game, I think the fans are going to be, especially if it's A&M, are going to be in an uproar. And then A&M the next week gets Arkansas, then Alabama, then Tennessee. So I think you can make a strong case that Texas A&M could start the SEC play one and three. Um, and if they do that, I, I, I know it's, there's a huge buyout for Jimbo. Um, uh, they're not going to put up with an eight four seven five record. Mike, thank you so much, man. Have a great rest of your week. We'll get back and reconvene next time. Excellent. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll take our final time out and wrap things up next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And our great partners, ShopRite, Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets, Ducks, Eon of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville, the Louisiana Lottery, D.C.'s Little Capital Exxon, Demco, and Cajun Chef. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a stake. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, I hope you had half as much fun as I did, man. We covered the NBA. We covered um, the Saints. We covered LSU versus Kentucky Super Regional Baseball. We covered the, the debacle of the PGA Live Tour and the European Tour Golf. And we covered college football in the SEC. I think we covered it all. So thanks to Christian Clark, Chris Rosevaglu, Todd Walker, Alex Myers, and Michael Hugan. And if today, June 7th, is your birthday, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. Uh, Alan Iverson is 48 years old today. Christian McCaffrey, what a running back now with the 49ers, is 27 years old today and still doing action flicks. At 71, one of my all-time favorites, Liam Neeson, is celebrating a birthday today. James Mesh, thank you so much for all you do. Thanks to our partners that make it possible each and every day. Most importantly, thanks to you, the listeners. In whatever form or fashion that you do, you make it happen for us. So thank you so very much. Tomorrow, we'll hear from uh, Kentucky Baseball. We'll wrap up game three of the NBA Finals and much, much more coming your way. So have a uh, have a great rest of your Wednesday. Until tomorrow, same time, 2 to 4. Same great stations, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Until then, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy. Let's be kind to one another. And by all means, be happy. Up next, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Have a great Wednesday. So long, everybody.